Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Last week, uh, Jonathan walked us through an overview of the manifestation gifts. Uh, excellent sermon. It is on our podcast. Please take a second to, to listen if you missed last week. This week, we're going to take a look at ministry gifts. Now, look at the ministry gifts. This is the Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to put most of these, uh, I think I'll put all of them up on the screen, but if you want to have a Bible open in front of you, uh, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got one of those hardbound Bibles that's in the pew, it's on page 977 is where we'll start. We'll turn a page midway through. We ready? For the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, Paul is talking about our identity in Christ. And I would just say, if you're, uh, you've been challenged to have a quiet time and open uh, the, the Bible at the beginning of your day, and you're like, where would I even go? After you've kind of worked through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, uh, then the Gospels, that's a great place. But man, if you're looking, if you've done that, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is, a, is an incredible letter. I encourage you to, to, to jump in there. Hopefully, you've had a chance to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to highlight just a few verses in this chapter. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Maybe you're here today and you hadn't heard that, but you have a calling. You, you have a purpose. You have gifts. And apparently, according to Paul, there's a way to live worthy into that, and there's a way to live unworthy. Paul continues in verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, in love. I have prayed that what I communicate today is heard and received in love. If I have to say a critical thing or two at times, hear that it's just from a loving heart. If you have to do that to somebody else, it's got to first flow from a loving heart. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's only one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's how Paul starts before he gets to the idea of calling so clearly to Paul and to Jesus Character precedes calling. 
Character precedes calling. He just spent three or four verses, three chapters, talking about the kind of character that we are to have in Christ. But you do have a calling, and your calling is actually bigger and greater than your career. You skip down, verse 11 it says, so Christ himself, this is Jesus. Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, we'll call them shepherds today some, and teachers to equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Let me just ask you real quick, pause for a second, look up here. Have we done that? Have we all reached the unity of the faith? Not just in here, but outside of here. I see some head shaking, no. So if that's, if that's not the case, if we haven't achieved that yet, then these ministry gifts are still true uh, and in place today. He goes on, and in, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What, what is that? That's the full measure that we begin to look like and resemble the Father both individually and then corporately together. Verse 14, there will no longer, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, what? In love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up, what? In love, as each, that's you and me, do our part. And it's work, right? So, we see here that God has an intention. Jesus has an, an intention for the church. This is big C church, like corporately, like all the churches around, not just here in Oklahoma City, but around the world. He, he's, he intends for it to come in certain ways. And then the, this should be true of the little C skyline church, right? We should see unity. Doesn't mean that we have to agree on every little tiny thing, but that there is a unity in the faith, right? That there is progress, there's growth and in, in maturity, that we're gaining the full knowledge of Christ and not settling for anything less, that we have this sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, that we would be truth-tellers, truth-tellers to one another in love, that there would be this community, a, a connectedness, a togetherness that we experience together from all walks of life, um, generationally, and then that we would be building ourselves up in love. Now, depending, and I know we have lots of visitors here today, glad you're here, and, and I know each one of you have had multiple experience probably in growing up in different churches. Sometimes, sometimes our experiences have been di different than what Jesus intended, and sometimes, without being critical, sometimes we experience these things, division or stuntedness, right? There's a stagnation. There's immaturity. There's a lack of knowledge about Christ. There's a disconnection from Holy Spirit. There's deception sometimes, individualism over community, and sometimes we just build ourselves up to be better than we are. And sometimes that could be um, immaturity, 
And it, sometimes it could be just there were, that, that a church, a small C church, is lacking some of these ministry gifts. So for the church to be what God intends for it to be, all five of these gifts that we're going to talk about today must be manifested here. And, and Jesus the cool thing about this is Jesus doesn't just intend for us to be that column on the left. He enables us to be the column on the left by passing out gifts. Now, what's really cool is if, you, if you're following along on the screen or just go up a few verses in your Bible, look at, look at uh, 4 verse 8. Therefore it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. You'll notice that's in quotes in your Bible because what Paul is doing is he's just riffing on the Psalms, right? He's just taking a part out of the Psalms and it's this idea of a victorious king who has won a battle and now he's divvying out the spoils of war to his people. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's saying, Jesus, he's the victorious one. He's the victorious king who has freed his people, a host of captives, and now he's handing out gifts to each one of them. And these gifts, these five things we're gonna talk about today, they make up the DNA of Jesus' people. So today, high level, just like Jonathan did last week with the manifestation gifts, this is just going to be high level. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll dive into each one of these individually. So just fast, the apostolic gift, okay? The apostolic gift, the apostle, uh, they are ones that govern. They do much more than govern, but you're going to see five fancy Gs here in a second. The first one is govern, right? The word apostle literally means messenger or one that's sent forth, Something I probably should have said is, those of you who are visiting from different communities, you may experience these five uh, gifts in different ways in your body, right? Because we do believe that these are dynamic. I'm just going to share how we kind of see it, at least in this place. Apostles, those with the ap ap uh, apostolic ministry, uh, they are pioneers and they have this tendency to dream with their eyes wide open right? They awaken others to their God-given potential, and apostles are always relentlessly on mission, right? To see heaven's uh, supernatural reality established and implemented here on earth. Apostles, they make the presence of God, the worship of God, the agenda of God, the top priority of that community, Apostles often are forging new paths for the kingdom, and they always are a catalyst for change. And sometimes that feels good, and sometimes, that, oh, it feels like sandpaper. But that's what the, those with the apostolic gift do for, for the body. And Jonathan and, and Billy both, very high in this particular gift. I don't know if they'd say it's their, their, their number one, but they definitely have this, right? I, I don't know if, if it's my number one. I, I think there's, I have a little bit of it. But even if it were my number one, I would not say, I was an apostle, I would say that I'm about apostolic work, right? B because this, all five of these are much more about work than they are about a position. Because being an apostle, doing ap apostolic work takes W-O-R-K, right? Takes effort. And so the core question here, core question for uh, those as you're thinking, could this be me? Is are we leading, are, are, do you have this question burning in you? Are we leading the people of God to their, and I would argue our collective identity? Apostolic. Good? Moving on. Then the prophetic, right? 
I'm going to go back because you'll be reading the question early. Prophetic. <laughs> Prophetic. So, so they guide, right? They, they carry the words of God to his people. And most of the time, those with a prophetic gift uh, are really encouragers in, until they're not, <laughs> right? They have a tendency to, to encourage, you can do this, I see this in you. I feel like God wants you to know this. And then every once in a while, they'll have a rebuke in there which is good. We need that. Uh, They're so effective at revealing God's heart to God's people. They can accurately discern God's will in particular situations. They have a a knack for doing that. They they facilitate people experiencing God's voice sometimes for the first time. Like it's like when I'm with this person, I like I feel like I heard from God. And then they they do a really good job of helping train others to hear God's voice for themselves. Got to have the prophets here. Two words that I think um, kind of sum up the prophet in it, that is they direct and correct. They direct and they correct, but they always do it in love. And so if you're playing around with and experiencing, maybe is is this a gifting that I have? When you walk away from people, you need to be able to ask yourself, do they feel loved? There's some prophets out there who, I spoke the truth in love. Yeah, they'll beat down, they'll never come back. Do they feel loved is is the key. Now the question, are the people of God hearing his voice and responding properly? Is that something that kind of warms your heart a little bit? Then we have the evangelists. The evangelists gather, right? They're the storytellers of the kingdom of God. They make the stories of Jesus' amazing grace and his love accessible and available to all those in their sphere of influence. And that sphere of influence usually ebbs out, right? Wherever they are, that's their, that's their sphere of influence at the time, right? So whether it's with their, their neighborhood or their peers or their work community or the person sitting next to them on the plane, they just have this unique ability to kind of stir curiosity uh, among the people that they're around. Curiosity and desire to know more about God. Their life Their life is this living invitation to enter into God's family that has become a kingdom. Make sense? The question that they ask, are new people entering into the kingdom of God in our community, in our neighborhood? Uh, Are they doing that? Are they entering into this? Then we have the, the, the pastor or we'll also call shepherd, right? The shepherd has a tendency of guarding the flock, Guarding the flock, right? They're faithful caregivers. A lot of times they come across as this gracious parental figure. People with this ministry, they're nurturers, right? They're the nurturers of the kingdom of God. And uh, they're instrumental in, in guiding and leading people through brokenness back to wholeness. And they, they're, another, another way to say it is they're like soul healers, they just help, help heal the soul when people are hurting, right? And move them gently forward. Maybe not quite as much as, as, as the prophetic voice, but, but those with the pastor voice, just moving them one step along out of stagnation. They create a safe atmosphere for uh, family. Chase obviously thought I needed some help this week, so he was sending me some of the Greek stuff on, on the word shepherd, right? It's uh, poimen, poimen, and it, and it literally means one who cares for sheep. Okay, that's what the word shepherd means, right? And, and most of the time, almost every time in the New Testament, it's referring to the good shepherd. 
Chase pointed out that this is the only time that Paul uses the same word in any of his letters. Is, is, is right here. And he's, what he's saying is that the pastor, the shepherd, is one who feeds pastors, pastures, sends them out to pasture, knows when the right time is, right? Uh, tends, pampers, directs, and last but not least, rule. And rule in the way that, that Genesis 1 was intended for humanity to do. I don't, I don't know, again, your situation, but there's been a lot of times where I've heard about these five gifts, and, and I've heard about Ephesians chapter 4 from a pastor who stands up and says, it's my job to help you learn to do the work, and then you go do the work. And that always felt a little awkward. Like, so you're off the hook, and we go do your job, and by the way, we have nine job, uh, five jobs as well. <laughs> so, if, but what it really is, is you're a pl- the pastor is a player coach. Uh, giant, calls it a Sherpa, right? So it's not just somebody who plays the game. It's not just somebody who climbs the mountain. It's somebody who goes back down and takes other people with them. Really great definition of what I think the shepherd pastor ministry needs to do. And this is not, again, like we said at the beginning, this is not about position. This is about work in the community. Many of you have this gift Many of you have this gift, quite frankly, better than, than some of us on staff, right? You, you just, you're just great at it. You're nurturing, and we've got to have that in this community. Core question, are the people of God receiving nurture and care? Are the people of God receiving nurture and care? And again, so many times we'll get phone calls. Hey, did you know so-and-so was this and so No, I didn't. And they just, they just have a pulse on who needs love and care. Last one, uh, teachers. The teachers, they, they, they kind of, uh, they have a way of grounding us in the truth, right? What's interesting to note is that these last two, so the pastor shepherd and the teacher is actually just one word in Greek. I, I've wrestled this week with what to do with that, so I'm not gonna do anything with it. <laughs> but what I think it means is that those who get up here and teach, like, yeah, no, my thing is just teaching. You guys nurture and say, no, 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 no. If you're gonna stand up here and teach, you've also gotta get in the game of shepherding and nurturing. That's all I'll say about that. But what the teacher does, the teacher makes the truth and knowledge about God accessible to everyone. They have the ability of breaking down confusion and misinformation. They, 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 they have a way of getting the hay down where the goats can get it. Does that make sense? They're strategic in helping people know the truth about God and how that applies to their life. Teachers, got to have them. We've been incredibly blessed with a great group of teachers. And if you've been here over the last few, few months, you've heard some of our young teachers, and they're flat killing it. We're very lucky here. Some of you might feel like you have this gift, and how do you fan that into flames? We're gonna get to that. But Jesus, Jesus perfectly modeled. Did I get the last one up there? Core question. Are the people of God, uh, I can't read that, immersing themselves in scripture and obeying it. That's what the teacher is most concerned with. So Jesus models this perfectly, all five of them, for his disciples. Best apostle, best prophet, best evangelist, best shepherd, best teacher that has ever walked the planet, and it's not even close. He modeled these perfectly for, and then he distributed the gifts, okay? And this is just what we believe here. We believe that all of you have some of this in you. 
So if, if you've been a part of giant stuff and they have the five voices, if you've ever taken the disc profile, uh, you know, and th- these personality profiles, they'll say you have a little bit of each one of these in you. So you might have a lot of it, a lot. So my, my disc profile goes D, I, S, C, right? But you all have a little bit in there and you can access it from time to time. It's really important to, to, that we believe it's important to know you can access all five of these. But you probably have one that's a little bit more comfortable than others, right? It feels more like you're, you're, you're writing with your dominant hand. Um, so, if I, if I were trying to get a ball to, to Lance out there, okay? So I, I could kick it to him, right? And, and I might get close with my right foot. My left foot, I might get somewhere in the general area, right? I, I could do it. I, I could maybe. I could throw with my left hand and look like a kindergarten girl, right? And get it close. Or I could just step and throw. And, and it feels much more comfortable for me to do that to execute the job. And it's the same way. It's the same way with, with the five gifts. There's one that might just feel, you can, get, you can do a little bit of all of them, but one feels and fits a little bit more comfortable. Another thing that I want to say is just because you are able to prophesy or do prophesy in a moment doesn't necessarily make you a prophet. Just because you share the good news that Jesus is king with somebody. doesn't necessarily make you an evangelist. It just makes you a Christian, right? And so, I, I don't think you have to get so zeroed in on, I'm just one. It's, I want to practice all five and see which one feels most comfortable. I think it's important to note that in our context, in the United States, that, that what we inherited from European Christianity was fundamentally non-missional. Okay, that's not a crack. That's just, that's just a general assessment. What we got when people came over here, established the United States, there was a Christianity that already existed, and it was fundamentally non-missional. Why? Because for hundreds of years before that, for them to be a Christian was declared when you were born and then baptized immediately, or fairly immediately. Make sense? So if that's the case, that you're declared Christian at birth, really all you need are two gifts, right? And that's the, the, the shepherding gift and the teaching gift. So we just need to care for and instruct the congregation. And because of that, what we just need to acknowledge is what we have inherited is heavily weighted towards doctrinal maintenance and pastoral care. And I think we, I, I think we as, an Ameri- as American Christianity, we kind of do that pretty well. That's the system we've inherited. But by and large, we've ignored the other three. Apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic. And what happened is when we exiled those three out from the church at, like this, then it gave birth to parachurches. Right? So you say, oh, that, well, the youth for Christ and young life, they're kind of the evangelistic life. They're para. They come alongside the church because we stopped doing it in the church. Navigators became really big in the 70s, 80s, 90s uh, of making disciples. Why? Because the church stopped making disciples. No crack. It's just, it's just fact. Right? Um, world vision, uh, sojourners, they, they kind of picked up the, the mantle of uh, social justice. Right? Though all of those things are supposed to take place in our community here. So, when churches are primarily led by shepherds and by teachers, the focus generally shift to, shifts 
to ideas and not actions, okay? Again, I'm not being critical, but we, we pontificate a lot on the ideas and aren't sent out to do quite very, very often, right? When you're led by an apostle, every once in a while you come up to the front, you grab a brown bag, it's got bread and juice, and he tells you to go out and share communion with somebody on the street, right? It's the difference between an apostle leadership and shepherd teacher leadership. It's interesting. Um, Danny Silk makes this quote when referring to churches that, that, that alienate the other three gifts, right? He says, they become self-focused and the pastor will have to give them a natural alternative to the supernatural life. I'm going to leave that up there. You can take a picture. You can chew on that and meditate that. That's a heavy verse. <laughs> that we end up set, settling for just what we naturally can do and push the supernatural off to the side because it's kind of weird and it's kind of freaky and I don't know what all that means, right? The central task, just so you know, and we feel this weight, the central task of the elders here at Skyline is to create an environment where the fully empowered ministries, ministry gifts are revealed and released. It's what we feel like our... Um, our motto ought to be, our, our primary task. We've got to make sure there's room in an environment for these things to grow. Now, since we got so close to Ephesians 4, uh, 22 and 23, I can't not talk about this. Some of my favorite uh, three verses, you hear us say it all the time, but uh, let's go with this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's your purpose. You are to be like God. Did you know that? You have a calling, and it may show up in one of these five gifts, but you also have a calling to be like Jesus, right? And how do you do that? How do you go from your old self to your new self? It's the verse in the middle. You gotta change the way you think. If you want to change the way you live, you have to change the way you think. And that's why teaching, that's what, it starts to stimulate that, right? But it, but it doesn't stop, stop there. Teaching is just the start. Teaching on the gifts we know isn't going to allow you to find your gift. We might spark it. You might go, ooh, that question, yeah, I, I really care about that question more than the other ones. So it, it might spark it, but it can't stop there. We can't think our way into maturity in the full measure. Does that make sense? You cannot think, you cannot read, you cannot listen to enough sermons, you can't podcast your way into maturity in Jesus Christ. You can't attain the full measure of Jesus by just taking in information. This makes sense, I, right? I, I think, in other areas of our life, right? If it was just about that, then all we would have to do is read a book on spiritual gifts or losing weight or listen to a podcast on getting stronger or how to have a ha healthy marriage, right? All you'd have to do is listen or read and presto, you've got those things. I just say, how's that working for you? Is that all there is to it? Data in, transformation out. No way. No way. Knowing does not equal doing. It takes, what do you think it takes? Practice. It takes practice. The Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever given. It starts and ends with practice. 
Look at this, Matthew 5, 19. This is when he's really getting into the sermon. He says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever, say it together, practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. They practice them and then they teach them. Once again, the idea of this Sherpa. They practice They climb the mountain on their own, but they don't just do it alone. They go back, grab some other people, and take them up with them, right? The sermon ends this way. Matthew 7, verse 42. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into what? What? Practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This takes practice. It takes doing, right? We grow, we mature, and we change, not by trying really hard, but by training really hard. Say that again. In any area of our life, whether it's at work, whether it's in your relationships, or whether it's becoming more Christ-like, we grow, mature, and change, not by trying really hard, but by training really hard. This is intuitive to us in other areas of life, right? If, if you wanted to run a marathon, like you just got this seed plant in your head, I think tomorrow I'll wake up and run a marathon, right? Some of you I know could do that, but I'm talking to the non-runners here. Raise your hand if you're a non-runner. Don't be shy, okay? So both of you, a lot of you, a lot of you, two hands up. Uh, if you were to do that and say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow, honestly picture, how, how would that end for you? Death, right? <laughs> about mile three, about mile three. Actually, about mile two, I'd turn around, go back home, go to bed. But how do you do it? How do you train? Or how do you run a marathon? You got to train, right? So I was talking to Adam on Friday. We talk every other Friday. It's an incredible blessing for me, this one more than most. Uh, Adam got this seed planted in his mind how long ago? Year ago? Year ago, May. So a year ago, he gets this we'll call, a seed planted, we'll call it a calling, that's in air quotes, got a calling to run a marathon. N- not just a marathon, but an ultra marathon, because 26.2 wouldn't be enough, 31 was the, the, the desired goal, right? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, at the time, a year ago, would you or would you have not considered yourself to be a runner? No. That's just not an identity that he would have taken on. One of the reasons was because you'd ran before, and when he would finish running, his body would just ache. It would just hurt, and he just kind of got the idea, I'm just not, this just isn't for me. I'm, I'm not a runner. For the first two months after this seed got planted in his mind, to train to run an ultra marathon, 31 miles, he didn't tell a single soul. He just wanted that to be, the, he wanted to be an intrinsic motivation that he's doing because it's, I'm going to use my own words here, felt, felt what he, it's what he felt called to do. He didn't even tell Sarah for two months. She's all of a sudden like, why, why are you running so much? Oh, well, by the way, I'm training to kill myself, or I'm training, I'm training to run 31 miles. What was interesting is he just started. He just started. Some of you don't need to listen to the rest of what I say today. When it comes to ministry, he, he just started. And maybe that's the thing for you. Just take the next logical right step. So, 
But he didn't stop there, right? So after he started training a little bit, he decided he, he, would, he needed to find a plan, okay? So, so instead of reinventing the wheel, he, he went out, researched, and found a plan. He sent it to me. There's no way you can possibly read this. So I'll give you just the first few weeks. And by the way, you, you couldn't even start at week one, right, if I'm right, right? You started like a mile. This starts at, at three, Okay, so clearly I would read this plan and like, oh, well, that's not for me. I'm not a runner. There's no way I can do three miles. I'm not even started. But week one, rest on Monday, run three miles on Tuesday, run three miles on Wednesday, run three miles on Thursday, rest on Friday, run, run six on Saturday, and then, die, uh, uh, and then Saturday rest and cross train. Rest and cross train, okay? And so on this plan, it would take 18 weeks realistically, 26, 50, how many weeks did it take? Six months to get ready to run the marathon. It takes time, right? So let's go back to, let's go back to kind of what Adam's path was. He, he could tell this more eloquently, but the first thing that, that, that stood out to me is he found a plan. Um, second thing, his, he got properly fitted, right? He, he went to a professional, got fitted for good running shoes, made the sacrifice to pay for good running shoes. He, he learned how to stretch properly before and most importantly, after. And after those two things, pain went away. Number three, he got the right support. Intentionally or accidentally, and sometimes this happens, right? Somehow, Tyler Green finds out that Adam's going to try to run, run 31, not gonna try, he's gonna train to run 31 miles. He says, I'm gonna help you finish. How, how could he do that? Because he'd already done it. He'd already done it. He knew what it took. And he said, I want to come alongside of you. I want to be the Sherpa. I'm not just going to run this with you. I'm going to make sure you finish. Fourth thing you saw on Saturday that, 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 that he cross-trained, right? He didn't just focus on one gift he cross or one muscle. <laughs> he cross-trained over multiple because developing the core and leg strength and whatever else uh, helped him ultimately finish his desired goal. Next thing, I thought this was incredibly wise. He recorded, whether mentally or, or actually on paper, small improvements. And when he took note of those small improvements and he saw, wow, from, from week two to week six, there's a big difference. It made his dream not seem so crazy. Well, that's good, right? Small incremental steps. I... I I could never see myself standing up here and, and talking in front of 100 people. I couldn't do it in front of five people. By the way, it's much easier in front of 100 than five. But, but you just got to start somewhere, right? And over a period of time, you see, wow, I've made tremendous, tremendous growth. And everything changed after you started doing these five. True? And on race day... Day comes around, he's got to run 31 miles. By the way, what's the longest you had ran before that? Was it 20? 20 miles was the longest he'd ran. And now he's got to run 11 more. Okay? Six o'clock in the morning. Logan Rosenbaum shows up at six o'clock in the morning just to encourage Adam. He couldn't run the race, but he showed up at every aid station giving words of encouragement. You can do this. I believe in you. Tyler says at about mile 20, just the two of them, not close to anybody else. And he says, Adam, why are you doing this? Why are you out here? You have to be able to answer that. 
And I would just say, when it comes to exercising your ministry gifts, you gotta understand the why. And if it's because some pastor stood up there and made you feel guilty because you weren't using your gifts, that's the wrong why. But if you go, God in heaven gave me a gift and he believes in me. He thinks I can contribute. He knows I can contribute. He enabled me to contribute. And the kingdom will be different because of me. That's a pretty good why. So what we saw in Adam's story is that over a long period of time, over a long period of training, he became the kind of person that could run 31 miles. And I bet he would tell us that it never got easy, but you can train your way into accomplishing what you're called to do. Ministry gifts are the same way. Gifts are like skills and talents. I think we may, if we're, not, if we're lazy, we might go, well, the Holy Spirit gave me the gift, I just got it in full measure, or I don't. No, they're like a skill. And, it, and they're, they're like a talent. You don't bury them in the sand. You've got to nurture them. You've got to exercise them. You've got to practice them. You've got to grow and develop them. And I thought one of the greatest quotes I took out of our conversation was this. I felt, this is Adam, I felt it took a lot more people than I expected to get me over the finish line. Man, whether in the spiritual life, whether it's becoming Christ-like or using and learning your ministry gift, it's gonna take a lot more people than you ever expected. And so I would tell you, you can't do this on, you, you shouldn't and can't do this on your own. It takes a community. And so what Skyline is trying to be is this incubator where you can practice and you can grow and you can mature in these gifted areas, in a community, with a group of people who absolutely love you. John Mark Comer says that in a community, like a church community, you can find two things that you just can't really find anywhere else, and that's exposure and, experience, exposure and encouragement. Exposure, you get people who love you, who just hold up a mirror and say, this is where you're at right now. And then you get people to encourage you and say, this is where you can be. You can finish this race. I believe in you. I see this in you. Jesus, he had apprentices, didn't he? He didn't just have a single apprentice because you can't follow Jesus by yourself. And identifying our gifts is best discerned in a community of faith where you can get loving feedback from other people. Dallas Willard, great theologian, used to say this, that every, every local church ought to be a school of life where people come from all over and learn the way of Jesus to learn a whole new way to be human. That's what we're trying to do here. Jonathan calls it a dojo, right? He said that the church ought to be like, like a dojo, right? Because learning these gifts is a whole lot more like learning karate than it is like, like learning uh, math or science. Yet most of our churches are set up like a lecture hall person who stands up front, pontificates out there like a professor, right? And there's really no place to practice, but we've got to put these things into practice. And what I'm trying to encourage you today is read Ephesians 4, understand those five gifts, and begin to practice them. You, you got to be somewhat fluent in all of them. Can you imagine if I, you know, I coach volleyball, if I brought a group of girls in and, and all we did on Thursdays from 5.30 to 8 and Sundays from 1.30 to 4.30 was just talk about the theory of the sport. 
They just came in their street clothes. We never put on uh, tennis shoes, knee pads, all that. We just talked about the theory of volleyball, never practiced it, never got in a game. We couldn't get in the game because we wouldn't be prepared, right? And what we do at, at our practices, if you don't know our sport, it's a little more complex than what you play at your family reunion, right? I promise. But you have passing specialists. You'll, you'll have a setter who's your primary one to take the second ball. Then you have hitting specialists, if you will, that just terminate. But at every one of our, and then you might have even a serving. We played against some teams this year. We had a serving specialist. She went into serve, and then they took her out, Right? But what we do at our practice is every player practices every skill at every practice. Right, Mary-Kate? Okay. Mary-Kate, hitting specialist. She better learn how to pass. Because if we can't pass, she can't hit. Right? And every once in a while, there might be a scramble play for her. God forbid, she might actually have to set. Right? We've got to learn all the skills. Is that making sense? At some point, you need a coach, a, a master, right? You need a mentor. You need Tyler Green to come along and say, I believe you can do this. And I'm gonna walk with you and make sure you finish. And finally, I'm gonna wrap up with this. You need, and, and not that it's an afterthought. <laughs> it's the most important thing. You need Holy Spirit. You need Holy Spirit because not, not only does the Son pass out the gift, the Holy Spirit then empowers you to actually be able uh, to become all that God the Father created you to be. It takes all three, and it takes us working with the triune God, right? You can't just sit back and expect God to do it all, right? God has a part to play, and we have a part to play, and we got to do our part. We can't just sit back and say, you either give me the gift, and if, if you do, I'll, I'll use it. And if not, then, then I'm just going to sit around and eat bonbons and play golf and fish and do all these other things with my time. You've got a part to play. And the great thing is with Holy Spirit, he does the heavy lifting, right? It's, it's not like 50-50, it's like 90-10. He does the primary part, but it is going to require effort. It is going to require practicing on your part. Augustine in the late 300 said this, without him, uh-oh, without him, we can't. Without us, he won't. All this happens over time and there are no shortcuts to learning your spiritual gifts. Like training to run a marathon, this is going to take time. And time here has a double meaning. It's going to take a long time, and it's going to take a lot of time. She's not here today, so I can talk about it. We were talking with Katie, uh, with Katie Grace yesterday and, and just talked about, you know, uh, you don't have to always, you don't have to be at church every week, right? And I paused the conversation and just said, John Luke gets baptized. I talk about my daughter. This is, a, this is set up for disaster. <clears throat> I said, if I ever gave you that, if, if you have that thought because I planted it in your head, I apologize. Because I stood up here when we started Skyline, I, I would say some stupid stuff. I'd say, you don't have to be here every, every week. We didn't have a Wednesday night deal. We had missional communities, and, and I'm, I very much made it like, don't feel the pressure. Oh, a lot of other churches make you feel pressure. You gotta be there. Don't feel that pressure here. Man, pressure makes diamonds. You get that?
can't become like Jesus on our own. You can't experience the ministry gifts by showing up once a month, okay? So if I made you to believe that, I, I do apologize. I'm not being legalistic and saying you gotta be here every week, you gotta be here every Sunday, Wednesday, and Monday. I'm just saying you might. How's it working for you right now? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are, you, are you leaning into your ministry gifts? Are you being used by him on a regular basis doing what you're currently doing? And if so, keep doing it. And if you're not, don't settle for the natural. There's something supernatural that he wants to do in and through you. And it's for the benefit of other people and it's important. Make sense? I don't know what else we have, but we're gonna... We're going to land the plane. We're going to move into a time of communion. And this is a reminder that our master, the head of the dojo, laid down his life for us so that we could experience new life. And maybe during baptism, there was something stirred in you like I, watching a kid get baptized. I just think, wow, I haven't done that. And, and I'd love to go from death to life. I would love to experience these gifts that God has for me. I want to be all that he created me to be. I don't want to settle for anything less than that. Are you kidding me? God of the universe can live in me? I want that. Maybe you were stirred. And maybe during this time of communion, that's, that's what you're focusing on. You got the bread and the cup and you want to thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your forgiveness of sins. Maybe something came to mind when we were talking about going from the old life to the new life. Maybe you realize... You ain't training for a marathon. That at the end of the day, you're sitting on the couch and you're doing all kinds of other hobbies and the primary beneficiary of those hobbies is you. And you're just stirred, not by guilt. God, please, not by guilt. But you're inspired by Holy Spirit that I can make a difference in this world. I get one life and I'm gonna maximize my potential. Make sense? Band's gonna come up. So, What'll happen first, time of communion. And as we always have here, we have, we have a prayer team. After they take communion themselves, they'll be up in here. If you feel like you'd like prayer on something, God stirred you, I would just say, take the next step, get started, right? Take a step down and say, hey, would you pray for me about this one thing? It's amazing what we've seen take place with just this little time at the end. I know we're late. I know some of you got to get to baptism luncheons, and that is a-okay. You walk out the back, and if God's dealing with you on something else, come up and pray. Have the courage to do that. Would you stand and pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you take and seal this message? A lot of words, a lot of rambling maybe, but uh, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would help us to begin to uncover the gift that Jesus Christ gave to each one of us. Help us to learn it, to uncover it, to maximize it, and to use it to bring a smile to your face and to grow your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.